wow, LeBron James and me. <laughs> that is an intro I have never had before, so thank you. Um, I, I just want to start by just saying uh, how good it is. Um, I'm going to try not to be that weepy, emotional pastor guy that I loathe, but um, having been here for five years and the only other church I have served on uh, as First of Anne, and then uh, finding God uh, call us as a family to move to Hong Kong and be a part of a new church start there. Um, I, I just want to say how honoring it is for me to be among you, uh, how many rich memories I have, how, what a risk this church took in hiring me fresh out of seminary, um, because I barely knew what I was doing, and I faked it well for five years, mostly, and um, but I learned so much in this church, and many of you deposited in me and my family, and, uh, and we took that with us uh, to deposit it in others. And so we have just been so, so blessed by this church, and uh, for 17 years now have been so blessed to be able to serve God and to be a part of a church in a part of the world that... It seems God is doing unusual and remarkable things, and I often think about those who serve in places where fruit is not as visible or immediate, and how, how great that faithfulness is. Uh, for us, um, it is easy because fruit is falling off the trees, and we are just trying to catch it and do as best we can to shepherd God's people and to... Uh, proclaim his word and uh, to be faithful to where he's put us. And so just a big thank you to all of you individually, to this church corporately. Um, gosh, uh, words cannot express how grateful we are for all that, that you have done uh, in our lives. Um, when we left here in 2001, um, I uh, left Memphis kind of kicking and screaming um, I did not necessarily want to go overseas. I thought um, serving here was a great position, leading mission trips, um, telling missionaries on this stage, you know, the gospel says, whoever leaves mother and father for my sake will inherit a hundred times as much on this earth and eternal life as well. <laughs> and so go and go to Turkey, go to wherever that family was going and look for that hundredfold blessing, that promise that he has. For every goodbye, there's a hundred hellos. For every tearful grandma that releases her grandchildren, there are compensating graces awaiting you. And I loved telling people that. <laughs> and then God said, do you really believe that? Will you do that thing? And um, when I got a phone call um, clearly out of the blue, from the head of the search committee in Hong Kong. Um, I had no resume together. I wasn't looking for a move. In fact, we were living in High Point Terrace at 3785 Rosedale in a three-bedroom, one-bath with three children, and we weren't looking to move to Hong Kong. We were looking to move to Cordova or <laughs> Bartlett or anywhere that had two bedrooms or two bathrooms. And uh, we thought it, our house was too small. Ha, 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 ha. 
I look back and I think, gosh, I, I know I whined way too much about my 1,400 square feet. And uh, oh, do I miss those 1,400 square feet. So um, I wanted to share with you briefly tonight from, uh, from Third John, a little book tucked away in the back of the Old Te- uh, New Testament. Um, a phrase that I think about often that I thought about as I was the missions pastor here that jumps off of the pages of these, these words in 3 John. In uh, 3 John verse 5, it says, Dear friends, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. And, and that word faithful just pops out. Because I presume that is all of our goal, is to be declared faithful. Um, as our news feeds have been filled with stories of Billy Graham and the legacy that he leaves, as we have imagined the words that he certainly heard, well done, my faithful one, um, that is what we long to hear as well, that our life will have mattered, that we would have made big choices and small that line up with the faithfulness of God, that we have responded in obedience, that we have been joyful and dutiful and uh, honoring of what God has done in our lives to hear those words faithful. But, but sometimes what it looks like might feel slippery or gray or fuzzy or hyper-spiritual. And so sometimes scripture says this is what it looks like specifically. You are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way and uh, send them on their way in a manner that honors God. And certainly that would be the heart of the missions committee of this church is to send them on their way to disperse people to the far far-flung corners of this planet in a way, in a manner that is honoring to God. And I think First Savannah does it so, so beautifully. In a way that honors God, it was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. And he points out this beautiful partnership, that we can work together that not everybody goes, but everybody must care. Everybody must be concerned. David, I love what you shared. You said it so fast. We missed it, but I think I got it right. Programs are optional, but purpose is timeless. Missions is not an optional program or something for those who really care about it. It's for all of us. So missions is not an optional thing. We get to participate together for, um, in this work. And whatever our role is, whatever faithfulness may look like in giving and praying and supporting and caring and welcoming and counseling and being partnered with, we get to participate in ministries that we may never, ever see up close and personal. What an honor. What a privilege that is. And then as we read... It follows right after this discussion about faithfulness and sending them in a way that honors God and partnership in the gospel. Rather oddly, he gives this name that appears in Scripture, Diotrephes. It's funny, in the church where I serve, 
many are young Christians. Many are non-Christians. About 10% of our attendance each week are self-described non-believers. I presume many more may not yet, may say they're Christian, but may not really actually be. But um, there's been many occasions where people have come to me and said, we want to give our child a name from the Bible. (laughs) And they think that just any name in the Bible is is a good thing, but there are names here that you don't want your kids to have, right? (laughs) Certainly, just because you're recorded for all of eternity in the Word of God uh, does not necessarily mean it is exemplary, right? So do not name your kid Diotrephes, not even your dog, (laughs) because he is listed, he is memorialized in Scripture as a bad guy, as an example of everything we should not be as one who is not faithful, who is not participating, who is not responsive to the grace of God in his life. The author says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, and he calls him out, who loves to be first. Think about that. Who loves to be first. Now, would you describe yourself that way? Uh, I mean, of course not, we're at church, so we know better, right? But we'd love to be first, right? I mean, we just watch the Olympics, and we cheer for the hockey team, we cheer for whoever, and they love to be first. That's the whole point. Most people don't remember the silver medal, the bronze. It's the gold, right? And if we're honest, we love to be first in, in many ways. I mean, we want to be thought of as servants, because we're Christians, until we're treated like servants. Has that ever happened? I, I, was, I was doing a wedding a while back, and, and I had this similar headset on. It was before the wedding. It wasn't in a church setting. It was in a uh, hotel ballroom. Think Peabody. Think nice. And I'd gone early to make sure everything was right and to, to kind of run through things. And I had this headset on and the guests were coming and they were uh, coming into this ballroom turned chapel. And one of the ladies who was there to, to come for the, for the wedding ceremony, uh, she evidently saw this and assumed that I was part of the, the work staff, that I was a caterer or something. And she said, young man, can I get some water? And, and it took me aback for a moment because my head was in not getting people water. It was doing other things. And, and I thought, yeah, hold on. You know, I, 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 that was not the time to argue. That's not my job. But so I go back to the kitchen and I find some water and I bring it out. And I have to admit, secretly, I was like, in just a few moments, she's going to realize, I can't wait, you know. <laughs> As, Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to this wedding ceremony. I was trying to make eye contact and just uh, sip the water. <laughs> I, I wasn't humiliated by that incident, but it did strike me that that's not my job. I don't do water. I got other things to do, right? I mean, we want to be thought of as servants, and any of us would go and get the water, but when somebody actually condescendingly looks down and treats us like that, it's kind of a different thing. And Diotrephes 
loved to be first. It drove him. And then he goes in and he gives this detail about what that looked like. What does it look like, the character of someone who loves to be first? How is that displayed? What does it feel like in in real life? And he gives us kind of a four-part description. And, And I know our time is a bit short, so let me just go through quick. He says, Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. (laughs) He will not welcome us. He does not accept what we have to say. He has an unteachable heart, we might say. It's not submission if you agree, right? Uh, It's easy to accept things if you agree. Uh, It's only when you disagree that your heart comes into check, how you respond, what you will do, what you will say, how you will accept, right? And Diotrephes will not accept our teaching, he says. He was unteachable. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is in Luke 5, where Jesus has this interaction with Peter right after Peter has come in from all night fishing and he's cleaned his nets and he's ready to call it a day's work. And Jesus gets in one of two boats and and he says, let's go out to fish. You remember the story, right? And you can just feel the animosity, the tension, the pushback from Peter. Peter's a trained, vocational, professional fisherman. And he's saying to Jesus, why don't you stick with teaching and let me stick with fishing? Because Jesus says, let's go fish. And he has just been out fishing in the time you're supposed to fish, and he has brought up nothing, right? And so Peter gives this pushback, this reluctance, this I do not agree with what you're saying. And it's in those moments when you do not agree, when it's not easy to obey, when you resist in your heart, that something is revealed who we are. And Peter says, because you say so, I will. That was was enough. Like everything in me says, no, are you kidding? Have you seen the time? I washed the nets. I'm the fisherman. You're not. He had lots of reasons, lots of cons. But one pro is that you said so. And that tips it. That's enough. A teachable heart. He goes on with Diotrephes and says, not only does he have an unteachable heart, Diotrephes, who loves to be first, he does not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense. Now, none of us would say we do that. Spreading malicious nonsense. Because we learn as Christians how to do these things in ways that are cloaked in acceptable behaviors, gossip that's a prayer request, or (laughs) we say things with our mouth that are not honoring, exhorting, encouraging, 
And it really just reveals what is going on inside. In this progression of diatrophies, an unteachable heart moves on to an unbridled tongue. And he spreads things. He talks trash. He lets things come out that maybe he thinks, but he has no filter, no edit, and it spills out. He spreads malicious gossip, one version says. Malicious nonsense. Our words are so powerful. You know, one thing I greatly missed about Memphis, and I still do, is the encouraging environment of the South. Oh, it's nice. And you don't know how nice it is until you go to a not-so-nice environment. And Asia is a wonderful place, but Chinese are not known to be effusive with their language. In my first few years, I was still waiting to hear, hey, good sermon. Like, just one. I mean, I'd come from here, right? And, and here, I learned quickly that even in a bad sermon where people go, that was the best thing I have ever heard. <laughs> Bless your heart. It's like, wow. So Hong Kong was a stark reality, but, but words are powerful, aren't they? I, I mean, God creates with words. You may not have thought about it, but we create with words too. Every time we speak, we create. You, you create, you build, you build up, you tear down, you establish trust, rapport, you distance, you create with every word that is spoken. You and I, made in the image of God, are entrusted with this ability to speak forth words in the image of God that create. Theotrophy's words betrayed him. They revealed him. He spread malicious nonsense. Not satisfied with that, it says. <laughs> That's not enough to spread malicious gossip. He even refuses to welcome other believers. He had an unteachable heart, an unbridled tongue, and keeping it un. We have to go with undirty hands. He was unwilling to be hospitable, not take them in. His attitude, his words then moved to action, and he would not be inconvenienced. So much is revealed about this, this character. Refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so, and he puts them out of church. So not only was he unwilling to get his hands dirty, to roll up his sleeves and to welcome believers at his own expense, that was not enough, but he made sure nobody else did it. He had power. He had authority, and he leveraged that not in good ways, but to ensure that his agenda was supported by other people. He made sure that others did not do the welcoming as well. There was an unchecked power. Power is intoxicating, isn't it? We can all think of examples outside of ourselves, of course, where power has gone wrong, power 
wields itself in unattractive ways. But in this very specific, we see he leveraged his own authority to ensure that his way was adopted, embraced, and enforced among other people. Power scares me. I'm terrified by it. I think I see in me a lurking yearning to have more, a delight when I realize what I do have. It it terrifies me. I don't know that I handle it well, and then I'm so afraid of it I don't handle it at all. So I'm all over the map in this thing. But I, I think in most part it's a healthy fear. But I always go back to this place in Matthew chapter 8. You know the story. It's, it's the only time that where Jesus remarked. It says he was amazed at the centurion. Never in all of Israel, Jesus says, have I seen such great faith. Wouldn't you awe oh, to hear that? That Jesus actually ranked. He thought, he observed, and he said, you're number one. You, you have Better faith than anyone else. I mean, what a remarkable comment. And it makes me think, well, what is it then? What is it about his faith that is so remarkable? If you remember the story, the faith of the centurion, the centurion, this unnamed leader over at least 100, if not more people, he's in a position of authority. He's high on the org chart. He has power. He comes to Jesus and he says, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? What a question. Jesus offering to come to your home and do the very thing that you want done? Who would balk at this? And yet, the centurion says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Key words. For I myself am a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes. I tell that one to come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Oh yeah, I've got power. But I'm under power. That's what I lead with. I'm, I'm, I'm under authority. I've got lots of power, but I'm under authority. And Jesus says, I've never found in Israel someone with such great faith who didn't let the power trip get them, who paid no attention to the org chart, who was keenly unaware of how many responded to him, but deeply burdened to be responsive to the authority he was under. I want to be him. I, I want to be always aware of the authority that I'm under and make sure that there is no unchecked power that comes my way. In my home, my kids, my wife, at the church, whatever context, that there is a genuine understanding and awareness of a responsiveness that we have uh, before the God that we serve. So we get a glimpse of what this looks like, this this idea of being faithful as followers of God, 
of dutifully sending them on their way in a manner that is worthy of God. Uh, We get kind of a detailed progression of what that does not look like. And and we get an inventory for ourselves to make sure that that we as individuals are (laughs) un-Demetrius. We're nothing like him. We see glimpses of him in our life that we shut it down that there's no room for it, that if we want to hear, good job, my faithful one, that there's no part of his life that can be mimicked or modeled in ours. And when we see glimpses, we got to say no. You know, a strong missions church, as First of Van is, with a great missionary force, is only as good as the collection of people that comprise this church, right? Each of us individually walking with God, humbly responding to him, seeking to be faithful, to be generous, to be prayerful, to be devoted, to be concerned with the heart that God has for the nations, and to ensure that our character is always under scrutiny that we are open to the Holy Spirit, that we are adaptable, flexible, teachable, that our tongue is in check, that our hands are dirty, and that power is bridled, that we do not let those things lead us astray. Again, I'm so honored to be with you, and I look forward to seeing you. I know you'll be here all weekend because you're faithful people, right? But to be with you on uh, tomorrow and Sunday and I think men on Monday morning for those who get up really, really early, um, it is such a privilege to be with you. I can remember being here for a Sunday night service and uh, my daughter, there's air vents right along the, the side corridors here, right? And a Sunday night service, I think I had preached that night and uh, at that time, we had three kids that were roughly five, four, and one, something like that. And my oldest daughter had worn a dress because Memphis. She was looking cute and dapper. And, um, but somehow along the way, she found it really fascinating to stand Marilyn Monroe-esque over those little vents with her dress flailing in the air, right? And I remember thinking, oh, gosh. Yeah, put it down, but she was cute and young enough that it went by fine. So I am flooded with memories as I look over there. Uh, I remember sitting right over there as Mark Young, one of our mission speakers, was here for a conference in the late 90s, and uh, God using him in a very surprising and unexpected way to really shape who I was and where I felt God was leading me. And so God will speak in, uns- in surprising ways, perhaps, but God will speak. May we hear. <laughs> Let me pray. God, we do thank you for your goodness and for your grace. God, I thank you for this church and your hand of blessing on it. God, I pray for each of us that we would continue to have ever-growing appetites, that we would thirst, that we would long uh, to know you more and that we would always be realigning. We would always be checking our our motives, and we know that we are prone to wander, to leave the God we love. So may you convict us quickly. May you comfort us often, 
And may we be near to the heart of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together one more time as we close. And I invite you to sing along. Um, Call yourself, call your own soul to let your light shine. Hear Jesus call us tonight to let our light shine. And then sing loud enough so that you call the people around you to let their light shine as well.